Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 337th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in our eighth year across the world from our studio in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. It's the number two technology center of the world. It's called Silicon Beach, and it's the west side of Los Angeles. Now, in my daily newsletter this week, um, I hope that you all get my daily newsletter. I've taken a look at Amazon. And I've been asking the question as to whether Amazon is now too big and should be broken up. Now, I'm not going to go into all the detail on this program, but some of the performance numbers of Amazon are certainly worth considering. Amazon is um, now a Goliath, and when it um, and it's starting to really affect Main Street shops, and uh, certainly killing all of the other online retailers. So if you look at the numbers, Amazon's got 43.5% of all America's e-commerce. It's got 300 million active users in America and sells over 3 billion products every month. That's 3 billion products a month. And they're expecting that to hit 12 billion in just two years time. They also add over 1.3 million products to their catalogue every day. And the average American spends $700 a year, and Kindle owners spend over double that, nearly $1,500 a year. And the average sale on Amazon's 57 bucks, and they ship 35 items every second. Now, the biggest sellers on Amazon are clothing, shoes, and jewelry, followed by electronics, then home and kitchen, sport and outdoors, and books. Remember, they started as a bookseller. Now, Amazon sales are up somewhere around 45 to $50 billion a quarter, and their market cap's over $600 billion. 80% of Amazon customers buy at least once a month. And 44% of web shoppers go straight to Amazon rather than do any search. And if you're wondering how long it takes for Amazon to go and get your product, put it in a box, seal the box and get it out the door, they need only one minute of human labor for every package they send out. They've got 45 thousand robots in 77 million square feet of warehouse space. Now, 77 million square feet is about the size of 1,500 football fields. So their warehouse space is equivalent to about 1,500 football fields. And some Amazon warehouses ship a million packages a day. Now, by next year, Amazon will have over 450,000 drones and they employ 
540,000 people. So, okay, so the last word about Amazon for this program, they have a 31% market share, eBay's got 23%, Alibaba's got 11 and everybody else combined's got 35 So my question is, they're big now, they're growing at an extraordinary rate, and should they be broken up? Should we stop them? The government's done a lot of these in the past. Maybe it's time to look at this one. We talk about cryptocurrencies, and major cities around the world are launching their own cryptocurrencies. Seoul, which is the capital of South Korea, will soon use a city-funded cryptocurrency called S-Coin for everything from subway rides to kids' allowances, part of a master plan to create a comprehensive blockchain bureaucracy in Seoul, South Korea. As recently as a couple of months ago, South Korea opposed blockchain for a whole bunch of reasons, not the least of which was a fear that North Korea would hack it. And they went as far as considering taxing crypto speculation and banning crypto accounts for miners. But South Koreans are the biggest crypto consumers after the Japanese and the Americans. And Korean crypto startups raise $90 million a month. So Korean crypto startups, $90 million a month. That is a lot of hooch. So as coin trading hysteria subsided, Seoul hired Samsung's enterprise IT consultancy in November last year to make their crypto dreams a reality. As Seoul is the world's leading city in the field of information and communications, they're st always studying new technologies such as blockchains and other technologies. Now, S-Coin will be a very important um, important, sorry, I got, I got the splutters, important um, addition to their currency. So S-Coin will be very useful as a payment means to the capital and it will help funding public welfare programs and even for compensation of private contractors. The, the initiative is part of the city's blockchain master plan which will help the city publish regulatory guidelines on digital currencies and also devote public resources towards the growing blockchain development sector. So all of you who think that blockchains are passing bad, it ain't because Seoul will become the largest city to adopt its own digital currency, but they're following the footsteps of Dubai, which is developing a digital currency known as MCash, and other cities across the world in almost every nation are looking at tokenizing a whole range of, of financial instruments. So the move to join the growing cryptocurrency market has seen several governments come in, and uh, many governments are working towards using doc blockchain to digitize their own fiat currencies and a lot of countries are preferring digital currencies to reduce their reliance on the US dollar and so that's um, it's going to be important as this accelerates over the next few years you watch the American dollar it will um, it's going to get hammered which will be interesting
we'll see how all that goes. So do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now got about uh, 1.7, 1.8 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds to read. And every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, 3D printing, etc., etc. It's absolutely free. Its information is invaluable. And we do not, under any circumstances, give anybody our database or sell it to anybody or let anyone else use it. So if you don't get the newsletter, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, enroll for it. And then if you don't like it or it's not working for you, you can be one of the very, very, very few just to go to unsubscribe and unsubscribe it. The number of unsubscribes is almost none and the number of people signing up every day is quite a lot. Now, automakers are on the verge of a prolonged period of rapid change to the way they do business. And this is because of the combined disruptive forces of growing on-demand mobility services and self-driving cars, which are now beginning to come onto the market. By the end of 2019, that's next year, Google's Waymo, Uber, Lyft and GM all plan to have fleets of autonomous cars deployed across the United States to provide on-demand rides for passengers. And by eliminating the cost of the driver, these rides are expected to be far cheaper than typical Uber or Lyft, which is already much cheaper than cabs. And certainly, it's a hell of a lot cheaper than owning a car for personal transportation. We've, we've looked at and discussed, why do we own a car? Why do we need a car? And it's, just, it's really just for convenience because the actual cost of owning a medium-sized $35,000 car is approximately $12,500 a year or $1,041 a month. Now, that's a hell of a lot of Uber rides. And you don't have to worry about depreciation, repairs, buying gas, insurance, registration, garaging, parking fees, parking fines, speeding fines, <laughs> red light cameras. You don't have to worry about any of that. So it's probably more like 1250 bucks a month than you can go a hell of a long way in Uber for 1250 bucks a month. Now, industry experts are predicting that extremely cheap on-demand autonomous ride services will result in a fairly rapid long-term decline in car ownership rates. In fact, PwC predicts that the total number of cars on the road will drop by up to 40% in 10 years. Now, we live in Los Angeles where it's bumper to bumper a lot. Just imagine 40% lost less cars on the road. And consequently, infrastructure companies, people who own parking lots and airports and all those sorts of people are working on how to utilise this space that's going to suddenly become available. I hope a lot of it, you think of all the car parks, the parking lots. Imagine if we only needed 40% of them. Maybe all the rest could be turned into parks. That'd be good. Won't happen, but it'd be good. Now, this decline in car ownership represents an enormous threat to automakers' traditional business models. They won't, just won't be selling cars. So they've got to find alternative revenue sources. You know, GM, Ford and Daimler have got plans to launch their own 
on-demand ride-hailing services with fleets of self-driving cars that they'll manufacture, and that'll potentially give them a new stream of recurring revenue. This could set them up to take a sizable share of a market that is expected to be worth trillions. Note, self-driving cars, trillions in the next 10 years. However, this will pit the legacy automakers against ride-hailing services from startups and tech giants that have got far greater experience in digital technology, digital channels. So automakers will have to foster new skills. Instead of making cars, they're going to be transforming into technology companies. Now, that'll mean that they're going to have to compete with startups and tech giants for software development and data science talent, as well as reforming innovation processes to keep pace with digital trendsetters. Automakers will also need to create unique mobile apps and in-car experiences to lure customers. Finally, these automakers will face many overall barriers in the market, including convincing consumers that self-driving cars are safe and dealing with a complex and evolving regulatory landscape. Additionally, automakers plan to maximise utilisation of their autonomous on-demand vehicles by performing last-minute and last-mile deliveries, which will force them to compete with a variety of players in the parcel logistics industry. And regulatory pressures could also push automakers to consider alternative mobility services besides on-demand taxis, and this could include autonomous on-demand shuttle or bus services. So whatever happens, automakers are going to have to make drastic changes to their organisations to acquire new talent and skills, and not all automakers will, automakers will succeed at that. Now, one brand we seldom hear about that could be the taxi of the future is EasyGo, a concept by Renault. It's fully autonomous, doesn't require a driver. All you do is hire it through the app, Choose your experience. You can get a private ride share or share with others. You reserve your seats, seats up to six. Perfect for taking tourists on a guided tour. Get in and go. The uh, It's extremely comfortable. No driving type chairs. They're all sofas. 360-degree windows, in-car in Wi-Fi and wireless charging. The display shows all your travel information and points out all the highlights on your trip. Wow, that sounds pretty good. So the next five, six, seven years in the automotive business is going to be really interesting. Now, my guest today is David Spark. And David's the founder of Spark Media Solutions. He's been the creative director, producer, voice and face of many content marketing campaigns for a number of Fortune 1000 B2B tech companies. He is a really interesting guy. You might have heard him on his Spark Minute. He's also a regular contributor to Forbes. And I'll be back with David after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, being broadcast right across the world this week from Hollywood in California, where technology meets entertainment.
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, this is where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people and also some of the most successful. We talk about what it is they do what challenges they've faced, how they've overcome those challenges. But underneath it all, we try to find out what it is that actually makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business. The last figures I saw said that 95% of all businesses started today fail. So we all need to be doing what the 5% that succeed are doing. So that's why it's so important, as I stress every week, for you to surround yourself with mentors, not friends that'll say, yes, you're terrific, but people who have been there, done that, been successful, and can give you good practical advice. So get yourself mentors. And the other important thing is to listen to programs like this, where um, people who are successful talk about why they're successful and what made them successful. Now, David Spark is a veteran tech journalist and founder of Spark Media Solutions. He's been the creative director, producer, voice and face of many content marketing campaigns for a number of Fortune 1000 B2B tech companies. And in the last 20 years, David and his articles appeared in just about everything, Um 40-odd media outlets, E-Week, Wired News, PC World, ABC Radio, and on and on it goes. He's author of the book, Three Feet from Seven Figures, one-on-one engagement techniques to qualify more leads at trade shows. Now, in addition to traditional media, David spent 10 years working in advertising at various agencies, the last being Publicist Dialogue, where he launched the company's new media division. Today, David blogs regularly on the Spark Minute and is a regular contributor to Forbes. You can listen to his weekly tech and media podcast, Teardown Show, and subscribe to his YouTube series, Content Marketing Tips. David's a noted speaker, an entertainer, and a moderator at tech and marketing events. He also offers training for moderating. Hi, David. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Well, that was a fabulous introduction. Oh, geez, I'm hot. 
How much how much training do I need for moderating? Well, we don't know. We're, moderating involves more than two people talking together. Okay. But moderating <laughs> that uh, is involved in the process of having a panel of four or five people speaking. Right. Here's, here's my number one bugaboo regarding moderating. And we've all seen this where you have like a 40-minute session yep. and the panelist goes, well, let's just give a few minutes to each panelist to introduce themselves. Fifteen minutes later, now the panel starts. Incredibly irritating. Yeah. Everyone's got a program. Nobody needs introductions. Just go. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Now, you spent 12 or more years working as a tour, touring stand-up comedian mm-hmm. and a comedy writer. Why did you give up working as a stand-up comedian for tech? Surely stand-up comedians, heaps and heaps of fun, and tech, mm, maybe not so much. Well, for, there's two big reasons. One is I was pulling down, and get ready for this, Bob, pulling down a pretty sizable four-figure salary at the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I know what – I was an entertainer for 20 years. I know what it's like. <laughs> and then the other the other issue is – so if you were an entertainer, you, you will – you commiserate with this is for every job that looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. There's a lot of crap that kind of goes along with it. That's not a lot of fun. Yeah. And I was tired of that. And actually, you know, I'm able to, in the work that I do now, take everything that I learned in, um, uh, in comedy and I apply it to the work that I do now. So it is not a lost skill by any stretch. Yeah, no, that's true. I um, I was a performer for about, I don't know, 25 years or so. And now, um, as you probably know, I do a lot of speaking around the planet. And I just regard it as rock and roll without the music. You know, I go out there and do the, almost the same stuff that I used to do, except I talk it instead of sing it. <laughs> well, I'm impressed with anyone who can play music proficiently because I'm somebody who made attempts at yeah. – uh, being a musician with piano and clarinet and yeah. failed miserably. And to me, when I watch a, a musician, it's like the equivalent of watching a magician. I have just have no clue how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> now, I grew up in an era where we used to talk a lot about um, NLP and we used to say, uh, you know, 35 to 40% of the population is visual, 45 plus percent is auditory, the rest are kinesthetic so if you um you know not even not that long ago probably 15 years ago if you were circulating dvds or videos or whatever they were then i can't remember um you would only give videos to people who were visual because they're the only people who are going to watch it yet now there seems to be well there is not seems to be there is this enormous trend towards video and yet the percentage of people who are visual hasn't changed. So why has video become such a huge thing now, irrespective of what the NLP characteristic is? Well, there's there's a bunch of rationales. The, the number one reason that there's a desire to create more video, it's just the tools to create video have become totally sort of leveled and equalized. Sure. There's no one that doesn't have the opportunity to have video tools to them. There was a time there was a major cost barrier for yeah. that to happen, but that is, that's completely evaporated. And I truly believe that editing video is now becoming a core competency, like to the equivalent of you know people of 
you know, you're my generation who know how to use, you know, who learned on the like Excel and Lotus Notes. That's sure. not something you, uh, not Lotus Notes, Lotus One, Two, Three. Mm-hmm. That's not something that you uh, were originally trained on, but but just because it was a skill that we all had to kind of learn. Mm-hmm. Now, even if you're not an accountant, we all kind of learned how to use a, a spreadsheet, a, a digital spreadsheet. Yeah. And I'm feeling that teens to 20-somethings and 30-somethings are all learning the very basics of video editing. And so now that everybody has even a rudimentary skill in it, uh, there's more desire to produce video. And like with anything, it's easy to produce garbage and it's hard to make it good. Yeah. So what? why is video so much more effective now with auditory and kinesthetic people? Isn't that something that really interests me? It seems to be much more effective now than it used to be. Is that because it's shorter, it's tighter, the cuts are quicker, it's more dramatic? What What's the key to that? The key, I believe, that what makes video successful is triggering emotion. Mm-hmm. Emotion, which can be done in audio and can be done in text, it's not easy in any format. But it really is most compelling and can be most compelling and, and easiest to go to, even though it's hard to do, within video. And if you can make someone laugh, if you can make someone cry or be angry even, these are all uh, emotions that trigger people to share content. We, I, I strongly believe that... Um, and, and, I, and I, I, I will uh, quote uh, Jim Lauderback, who is now the CEO of VidCon. Sure. Yep. And he says, the number one thing that gets people to share video online is triggering emotions. And, and a strong emotion, not a passive emotion, but a very yep. strong emotion. Yep. And that's what we, we're essentially going for, is trying to do that, which, you, you know, the same video, the content in text, you can do a lot more with it. Um, and you can also, because you have visuals, you can actually deliver more information in a shorter span of time. Sure, sure. Uh, for those listening that have a business, um, it's important to realise that uh, all decisions are initially made emotionally. Uh, it doesn't matter what the decision is, it's made emotionally and then you justify it rationally to make to make the final decision. But if you can get people in, initially say, yeah, I love that, then you're more likely to get the sale. So that's, that's what we're talking about with the emotion. Is, so is the primary objective to get your message across in the video or to trigger a viral explosion of it, or is it both? Well, I would, I would argue that it's both, but you know, it's always the goal of the video. So, so much of what we do with uh, our B2B video stuff is to approach a really specific audience that is interested in a very specific technology. So I'm not shooting for the world, but I'm shooting for the people who actually care about this content. And here's the quick story I tell about sort of how compelling very specific information is. Um, I just purchased, or actually a year ago, I purchased a new uh, camera, a Sony a7S, which I love. In the process of um, creating or deciding to buy that camera, I watched a lot of videos on YouTube, 
of people giving recommendations to that camera and another camera. And then, you know, once I decided on the camera, I found a place to buy it and, and I purchased it. Right. But then once I purchased the camera, there was a period of a week that went by before I received the camera. And so I just went on YouTube to train myself how to use this camera. And there were tons and tons of videos on how to use this camera. So when this absurdly complicated piece of technology arrived, I knew how to use it out of the box, which right. is unusual. That's really unusual to purchase a product, haven't received it, and yet be proficient in it to a level, because I hadn't touched it yet, yeah. but proficient on the menus and what I can change to that level. In addition, if I had a specific problem, for example, there's an, um, a face recognition feature in this camera. I would do a search on face recognition feature, uh, Sony A7S, a dozen videos showing me just how to do that. Right. That's what amazes me. And by the way, it's not like those videos had a few hundred views. They had thousands of views each. Yes. So there is an extraordinary demand for very specific information out there. So, what are, are tech companies? What are tech companies um, trying to do with video? Is it essentially to sell product? Is it to create brand awareness, or, or not brand aware, brand equity, or is it to um, what's the principal purpose? Well, what they're trying to do is yes, is to try to create some kind of brand equity, to try to. Um, sell a specific product idea, usually sell the concept of the company, and also get some testimonials. So the, the, the two most common types of videos that we see out there are um, basic intro videos. This is company XYZ, and it's usually a, a, a series of stock footage with maybe some animation layered on top. And then customer testimonials of people in a studio just talking about what it's like to work with company XYZ. And they're extraordinarily dry. And the problem is companies just feel that's what we're supposed to do. And one of the things that we're trying to break our clients out of is get away from the thing that you think you're supposed to do and go more towards what do you think the audience wants. Yeah. And because that's where you're going to get consumption and care. The only thing that matters is the customer. So what um – with all that clutter out there, everybody's out there creating videos, how do you cut through? What is it that allows you to cut through from the 10,000 other videos that are being put up every minute? Well, discoverability is very, very difficult, and I can't fully answer that. But I will tell you, we have because of the volume that's out there, there was a, there was a time you could just create good content and it would, quote, get discovered. Yep. But unfortunately, that's not enough anymore, and you do have to pay for a level of distribution. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, that level, that payment is not that expensive through something like a Facebook or uh, YouTube. You can actually get reasonable distribution to a very targeted audience through that. I would also say that timing is critical as well, that if you are creating content that's specific around an event or a news story, that you get it out quickly. Um, that will help in terms of distribution. Um, but I would also say the thing that does extraordinarily well is who is in your content. Is this person some kind of a celebrity to your industry that people care about? Or are you releasing a product announcement or solving a problem that is of great uh, desperate interest? Timing is also very key, like I mentioned, is putting this all together. And 
we do a, you know, depending on what the need is, we do a mix of those different things. So you're saying that um, to gain maximum effect, you really need to have a recognisable face, whether irrespective of what sort of a celebrity is, but you need a recognisable face and you also need to spend um, money to do it. And if that's true, what sort of a level of investment are you looking at? Well, getting a recognisable face architects a certain level of lift. So especially if you're getting a big celebrity, you can just pretty much guarantee if big celebrity is in this and that celebrity name gets enough search, they will find it. But there are also big celebrities within industries that have recognition. And I always say, you know, you really should push for that in general. Yeah. In terms of money, it can go the gamut. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I was just answering a a question, a client. They were saying, well, why is you go the last time you did a project for us, it was 10 videos and now it's only five videos, but it's more expensive. I don't understand why is it more expensive? And the reason is those were more complicated videos to produce, considerably more complicated. And we've done projects for clients where we've made a video for as little as $900 and a video for as much as $28,000. And there are others that have gone into the six figures, no problem. Right. And so it's hard for me to answer that question because it's, uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, how long is a piece of string hmm. type thing. Um so what sort, of invest, what sort of investment do you need on a Facebook or like? And what are the best um, vehicles? Look, it can go from zero up to a lot of money. I mean, honestly, you can turn your cell phone on, and if you are in the right place at the right time, and you turn the camera on and you're compelling, heck, it could cost you nothing. You could throw, you know, do a selfie video with no graphics. It's just you were at the right time, right place, had the right information, and it's literally nothing. On the other side, you can create this extraordinarily expensive video, costs $30,000, $40,000, that is custom designed, and the only way you're going to get people to see it is also spend money on advertising. Mm. So, again, I know you're kind of pushing for an answer there, but it's a tough, tough question to answer because it literally could be zero to thousands. I was just um, thinking of if, if I'm listening to this program and I'm, I've got a you know reasonable company, I've got 30 employees or 50 or something and I think well you know video is not a bad way to go um, so but how much does it cost and then how much so have I got to spend on Facebook to get it out there so let me answer it in also in a different way don't have unreasonable expectations because we're talking about a single video yep. no media empire was created on a single piece of content and this is something I run into with clients all the time that they have this Expectation. Well, if we spend X dollars because they spend that kind of money in advertising, then we get should get some type of return on investment. But doing any kind of content marketing is actually accumulative, unlike traditional marketing that is not accumulative in the same way. Yeah. And so you build an audience like you would like this radio show, for that matter. You didn't start all of a sudden with the audience that you have, but by building your brand, by interviewing well-known people or just people who have good thoughts and ideas and advice, you are building your reputation and your reputation is cumulative. This is the same thing with the video. If you just do one video, the only way you're going to get it seen is by spending a lot of money in advertising. But if you say spend, I don't know, $10,000 a month, I'm taking kind of a low number there, on some kind of video production type thing and you're consistent about it, 
Um, and again, that's an incredibly low number, but you can do something with $10,000 a month. Um, then you consistent, you can actually build an audience based on that. But again, it, it's all, it's all of what you want to do and the effort and money you're looking to port, put uh, forward to it. What's the, what are the elements that make a corporate video, um, memorable? I mean, something I'm I, will, I will tell you, it's all about real, honest reactions. And one of my number one complaints, and this is something I just wrote about for Forbes, and I have a video about it that demonstrates an example is, do not, and this is my one huge piece of advice, do not send the questions to an interview subject before the interview. And the number one reason for this is you, if you do that, you have ruined the the final video product and here's my argument video requires so much level of sensitivity yep and that not just the words that are being said but that moment between when the question is asked and when the person answers and as they answer is extraordinarily compelling can be and if they don't know what it is to see those honest human reactions is extraordinarily powerful. We do a lot of what is known as man on the street style videos where I just go up to a random person and ask them a question, usually at a trade show, uh, a simple question or a funny question or a thought provoking question. And sometimes before I turn the camera on, the people say, can you tell me the question first? And I always say, I just want to see your reaction on camera because right. that moment, and it literally is purely a moment is so powerful in video and something that can't be translated in print or even audio. Yeah, I can see that. So what's the big missed opportunity that tech companies are missing with video? Where do most companies go wrong with video? Well, one is per something I said before earlier, which is they think they need to do a certain format of video, like the case study. Right. Um, the other issue I have found, there's two big things that I have found that companies are getting wrong with video. One is everything, and we're talking Fortune 100 companies I'm seeing this with. But I'm only, I've, by the way, I've been working on this report that's specifically uh, targeted at B2B tech companies yep. in particular. The companies that have billions in valuation, fortunes of money, and they have huge video crews, enormous video crews. For some bizarre reason, Everything that they have spent millions on in terms of branding and web development, when it comes to, and presentation of that kind of presentation of that brand, it goes completely out the window when it comes to video. The biggest companies present their videos with inconsistent branding elements. When they post it up on the web, it does not have a consistent branding look and it is not presented with any kind of consistent branding that shocks me on belief and i will tell you that is 90 to 95 percent of all companies are doing this wow. it is that shockingly high wow. stunning the other issue and this they just may not be aware of is to do video right and this is not even talking about the production but more the presentation of it online mm. whether it's through youtube or any other platform there are 50 to 100 variables to manage and some of these variables are very small, like what do you title the video? 
and some are far more complex. But they don't realize that there are many, many strings to manage of this sort of marionette, if you will. And to do it successfully, you need to understand what those all are. And it's a, it's a lot of dotting I's and crossing T's. And when you don't do it, it looks sloppy. It speaks poor of your brand. And when you do it well, it seems like you barely did anything. Like any branding effort, it looks too easy. Right. But there's a lot of work that went behind it. So would you suggest that if you're a, a small to medium business that you um, gain the um, um, continuity, if you like, by having some form of presenter? I mean, even if it's a, a, a somebody within the company, but as long as they're you know, not hopeless, does that add authenticity and continuity or is you just blowing your image? Well, no, I always think it's a good idea to have someone from the company to speak, be the voice of the company. That's always, I'm always speaking for my clients often, but like, for example, with one client just asked me for a project and said, can we, instead of you, can we put one of our people on camera? And I'm like, sure, of course, you know, that's not a problem at all. It's just, sure. I did it, no one stepped up. Um, yeah, let's, let's do it up. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, people need to be media trained. They need to know how to read teleprompter when when necessary. Uh, they need to be able to think quickly on their feet if they're interviewing people. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things, you know, and if they need to be trained, we'll, you know, we'll train them. That's the other thing that has to happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a good idea. But the other issue is, and we're working on this ourselves, is you can't assume that when you start, it's going to be great. And here's it. it if I could sort of, in, in sort of, uh, provide one huge piece of advice, and that is, to make great videos, you have to create a lot of bad videos first. All right. I know nobody wants to hear this, but that is the process. And I'm literally going through this myself with a with a branded series that we're working on. Is that while I didn't think they were bad, they're not nearly as good as what we're doing now. Yeah. And you have to go through that process of figuring it out and publish some stuff that isn't wonderful and perfect until you get the great stuff. Um, you know, the same thing's true with podcasting, for that matter. I mean, I'm sure when you first started out, those very first interviews weren't nearly as good as the most recent ones. Take some time to get your footing, if you will. Yeah. What's the ideal length of a corporate video? I know that's another how long's a piece of string, but um, in the main, is it better to be short and succinct or what's the, what's the answer to that? So this is extremely common argument that I get from my clients saying, well, it has to be very, very short because people don't have any attention span. So the, the stats actually show that longer videos get higher recommendations uh, within YouTube itself, people end up watching a video often, no matter what the length is, somewhere between 40 to 60% of the time. So if it's a 90 second video or it's a 10 minute video, you will find that the stats are somewhere between that sort of 40, 45% to 60% of viewing time of it. Um, honest to God, if it is compelling for 10 minutes, it will get a lot of views and it will get a long views. The other thing is, do you need them to watch the whole video to get the point across? Sometimes they don't need to watch it. And the other thing I would recommend is 
the the huge advantage of YouTube is that it is the world's biggest platform for video and the second largest search engine. So you want your content there to be discoverable. But the yep. major failure of YouTube is I have no clue who, who has watched it. So there are these other video pl platforms, one called Vidyard, another one called Wistia, and yep. the company that we're partnered with is called Brightcove. And what they do is they allow you to actually measure who's watching what content when, and it can be interactive. So if you want to compel someone to download something or to watch another video, you can actually create a call to action that's clickable within the video content itself. And if you have a marketing automation platform, right. all that information can be transferred. And what's really, really powerful about that is, in email marketing, all we can know is they open the email and they click the links. But right. with email marketing connected to video using one of these tools, I can know the depth of the interest. So Bob, if I sent out an email and I know that you watched two minutes of a three minute video, and for the last five emails I sent out, you watched all the videos for at least two minutes. I know that you are, you have a high depth of interest in my content. And yep. that means you're an extraordinarily warm lead. And what does that mean to your sales staff? It's everything. So that's what's extraordinarily powerful. So does it matter, does the length of the video or, or does the type of product Will the nature of the business affect um, viewership of a of a video? In the, in, it, what, I'm, what I mean is, in the old days, you used to say that um, a product that's reasonably cheap keep your copy to an absolute minimum. But if you're trying to sell a Mercedes, for example, people want long copy. That used to be the case. Is that a similar sort of thing now? That if you've got a a complex product, um, then people want more detail and they want all that or is it still um, getting to them emotionally? So that, that's a perfect example for using one of these video platforms like I mentioned before is it allows you both levels of it. So what you could do, say you were to create a 10 minute video and the first minute of it is just here's what the product is, here's what it does, boom. Right. And if you want to know if you want to know the specifics of every single feature on this product, click here to watch nine more minutes of it. Well, that would be extraordinarily powerful to know. The people who just watched the minute and the people who chose to watch the further minute. These video platforms will let you do that. Now, the negative of this is by not being on YouTube, you're not being discovered through that search engine, that platform. But the advantage of you've got this ludicrously great measurement. So what you can do is you can throw some advertising dollars on this. You can send it through your own email marketing platform or through others for that matter, maybe by, you know, placement on that. So, you know, it all depends on what tools you're going to use and how you want to measure it and how you want to follow up. Because, you know, nobody out there is just creating video because they want to create video. They want to create video to sell their product. Sure. And so these are very powerful ways to get information about your audience through video that you can't through any other platform. So what are some simple fixes that any company can do right now for their, with their video? So the nut, two huge fixes, and I'm talking, these are, we're talking minutes. Right. This can, this can be fixes. One is go to your YouTube channel and look at it and say to yourself, 
does this show our company positively? If I were to just look at this one page, does this communicate who we are? Right. I will say for probably everybody who's listening, chances are it doesn't, unless they are themselves a big YouTube creator uh, for them. First is, in YouTube, you have this spectacular banner at the top that is enormous that everybody sees. You'll be stunned the number of companies that just blow off the messaging that could be done in the banner. Redesign that banner to be specific about what this channel is and who you are. Then look at the look at the and these are already the videos you've already published. Yes, sure. The, uh, now look at all the videos you have. Do you feel that they are titled a enticing enough and specific enough to what the content is? Don't make things too general. That doesn't help. Uh, you know, retitle them. This can be done after the videos are made. Uh, third is, and this shockingly, almost no company does. And I'm, it blows my mind. These are companies with millions and millions of dollars. They don't do this. Is create custom thumbnails for your videos. Right. The title and the thumbnail is what sells people on actually clicking and watching the video. If there is no compelling title and thumbnail, or it's non-compelling, you're not going to get people to watch it. So take the time to recreate, to create custom thumbnails for all your videos. So when I come to your site, I see a banner that immediately explains, immediately explains what you're doing. I see titles of videos that are very enticing. And then the visual of the whole page with the custom thumbnails is pleasing, and I'm compelled to start looking at the videos. Right. That is not costly, and that can be done after video has been produced. David, we've run out of time, unfortunately. So thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You can reach Thank you da- very much. It's a pleasure. You can reach David at sparkmediasolutions.com. That's Spark, S-P-A-R-K, mediasolutions.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network and we're broadcasting today from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California where technology meets entertainment. Today's a great day. You know why? Because it's Ben and Jerry's free ice cream day from noon until 8pm tonight. Ben and Jerry's locations around the country are giving out free ice cream cones to all customers. That's right, free ice cream. And to get free ice cream at Ben and Jerry's today, all you've got to do is go to the Ben and Jerry's location and place your order. Get the ice cream and eat it. How cool is that? Don't have to put your hand in your pocket. Now, what makes Ben and Jerry's free ice cream day particularly special 
and this is the important part, is that you can get as much free ice cream as you want. Now, with most giveaways, whether it's donuts or pretzels or hot dogs or coffee or any other thing, there's usually a limit of one per customer. But not with Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry says customers can get as much free ice cream as they want on free cone day, which is today. The only requirement is that you must wait in line again each time you want another helping. And yes, some people say they come back three, four, five, six, ten times to get yet another free ice cream. So free ice cream day at Ben & Jerry's. So if you've got a Ben & Jerry's near you, you've still got time if you're on in the sort of western 14 states. Rock along to Ben & Jerry's. Get an ice cream, scoff it down, go back to the queue and get another one. How good's that? Now, smart, smart speakers and voice assistants such as Google Assistant, Amazon's Alexa and Apple's Siri are now just starting to find their way into our everyday lives. Now, early adopters are already using them to manage their homes like I do. Hey, Google. I love it. And... Uh, People use it while they're driving to find information online and even do their shopping. But current levels of penetration are the tip of the iceberg when it comes to how the latest technology in the world of voice-powered software applications will come ubiquitous sooner rather than later. It's anticipated that in the US, 50% of searches will be made via voice by 2020. That's only 18 months away, 50% of searches. And 55% of US households will have a voice assistant just two years later. So voice commands to tech will become normal and it's going to happen very quickly. However, health care is probably not the application of voice technology that would immediately spring to mind. But pilot projects are already underway right across the country in fact, across the world. And it could, in fact, be a major application of the technology. Boston Children's Hospital hosts the Innovation and Digital Health Accelerator, who are at the forefront of developing applications of voice tech in healthcare. Pilot projects have been demonstrated, and they show that physicians are more receptive to engaging with voice assistance than had been anticipated. The three areas set to see fast adoption are, firstly, intensive care, the sterile, the sterile environment of an intensive care unit means hands-free access to information, can help improve both efficiency and safety. Not having to use a phone, browse through documents or walk to another room is extremely useful. So using voice assistance to access guidelines, protocol, medical records or other information can save seconds, which can be critical in intensive care. Organ transplants, the transplant team at Boston Children's has piloted a voice-powered pre-operative hands-free checklist process. Feedback has shown satisfaction at the efficiencies this has led to and the potential to reduce 
human error, which is pretty important when you're <laughs> doing organ transplants. The project is still in an early prototype phase, but early signs are that it has the potential to have hugely positive impact when it's fully developed. Home health. Amazon's Alexa Assistant provides assist access to KidsMD, a resource provided by Boston Children's. Parents can provide Alexa with empirically gathered information on symptoms of common ailments suffered by children, like things like fevers and colds and ear infections, and receive guidance from the hospital. This might be on how to care for the patient at home, or if it sounds as if a visit to the doctor might be a good idea. So far in its early stages, over 100,000 interactions with the resource have been logged. You know, there's still a few limitations around the use of voice. Patient privacy, that's one. Domestic voice assistance devices and software are not yet HIPAA compliant, which means confidential information is not fully protected. Noisy background, etc. So not perfect but it's getting there now remember if you're not living on the edge you're taking up too much space so get out of the way and let somebody who wants to succeed get past you know it's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary anybody can be ordinary the whole world's bloody ordinary so you want to be the opposite of ordinary to so become extraordinary. It's a lot more interesting life. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how fantastic you can be if you are a little bit abnormal. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll again be broadcasting from a regular studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile... Please continue to be successful because the alternative sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.